Thanks, brother. <laughs> 5,000 eggs. That's a lot of eggs. That's a lot of eggs. Wow, that got really quiet. Pastor Stevie walks off the stage and y'all be quiet when I come up. Come on. He's preaching next week, okay? Let's give it up for that. So we can give him a pre-hand because next week's going to be awesome. Uh, he's kicking off. We're starting a new series together called Faithful. And so Pastor Stevie gets to do the first installment and I get a follow-up uh, behind him because I, you know, I just pick all the things that he does wrong and I try to do them right the next time so I look better. But so far, I haven't been able to do that, but uh, it's great to have him on staff and bring a good word. Looking forward to it. Uh, but hey, I'm so thankful that you're here. If you're here for the first time, I believe that, that God brought you here on purpose. Matter of fact, if you don't know this, which you probably don't, we actually pray on Saturday nights here, and we pray for people that are driving by that need to be um, as a part of this community um, in our church family. And if, if they don't belong here, we's like, God, send them somewhere else. Like, just another church that needs that. I mean, if anybody needs trouble to deal with, then go somewhere else, because we don't need trouble to deal with. We have enough trouble of our own, because we're building a new building, and new buildings always bring trouble, right? So next week, uh, we'll have the interior design. You'll be able to see it up here, and it's taken a lot of tweaking. Um, any tweakers? Any former tweakers here? Because uh, how you heard that was probably different than how I said that. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's exciting to see what's going on. And um, again, if you're newer to the church, we're building a new facility where the parking is. So it's going to be great. But today I want to talk to you in our last installment of the book of Philippians. Pastor Stephen, I've navigated through it. Um, this would be the last message in it. And Paul is, again, he's in prison, chained to a Roman guard. Uh, prison in these days was not good. It was not ESPN. There was not three meals a day. There was not a bed. Um, it was prison where, I mean, it was, if you, if you didn't have friends to take care of you, you basically starved to death. Uh, and it was not a good place. So he's writing this letter to this church that he had planted, and he's just thanking them, giving them uh, confidence to keep going, to keep walking with God. Uh, but today he's talking about how to be content. And so the title of today's message is, is called Never Enough, Dealing with Discontent. There's something in us that has a discontentedness, right? Something especially in America that uh, we, we just want to have more. We think if we get more, we're going to be happy. That's not the way that it works. So there's a good discontent, okay? and I shouldn't be content in my marriage. I shouldn't, shouldn't be content in my walk with God. I should always be making progress. We're not talking about that kind of, we're talking about the bad discontent where you're just not happy with anything. It's like no, no matter what good comes, you find some way to pick it apart. You ever been around somebody like that? where it doesn't matter how much good stuff, they'll find the one thing that, you know, on, on the screen, for instance, let me show you something. I wasn't planning on doing this. See how white the screen is normally? There's a, there's a piece of paint right here, right there. See that? Yeah, not now. Now y'all, now y'all are going to see it every time. Okay. You're going to look at it and go, whoa, there's a mark on there. You know who did that? <laughs> me. All right. As a spiritual point, to say some of y'all just see what you look for and there can be 99.9% .9 white, but you're going to pick out that one little thing you don't like. Well, we could go somewhere with that, couldn't we? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call an audible right now. Watch this. I am just going to cut this sucker off. Look at that. I, 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 will, I will look on live TV. Look at that. I made it worse. Deal with it, right? That's okay. I know a good painter. Uh, so here's what we do. We like to we like to pick on the one thing when everything is beautiful, and that's like that one little thing that we got to complain about. Just like Eve in the garden, where there was a perfect atmosphere, and there's that one thing that she wasn't supposed to have is the one thing that she wanted. 
This all plays in today's message, right? We, we have this DNA that's kind of like this. So we're going to navigate, how do we deal with it, right? How do we deal with that? So again, Paul's writing this, this letter in prison. He's speaking to the discontent of a human heart. Um, and here's what I've discovered is you're really not chasing possessions. You're chasing the feeling that the possessions give you. That, that's really what we are after. Um, you can have an old beat up Geo Metro that will take you from home to church, just the same as a 2018 Corvette can get you from home to church, only you feel a little bit better in the Corvette, right? Until you hit the stoplight at Deer Flat and somebody with a 2020 Corvette C8 pulls up next to you. You were happy with the 2018 until the one that looks like a Ferrari is now. And now you're like, whoa, I want that one because that's me. That's the one that I want. And, I, and I've made that very public and somebody in church bought me one. As a matter of fact, they bought me too, Pastor Chase. Uh, I think mine's the, the one you bought me. Is in the, but but this, is, this is the brand new one. You see, I was happy with a 2018 because I love Corvettes until I saw the new one. Now I don't want a 2018 anymore. I was like, I want the new one. So if you're all thinking about buying me one, I will not be content with the 2018. I have to have the new one, right? The new one. That, that is just something in us. They, they just we deal with ladies. It, it, for you, it's shoes and handbags. <laughs> for men, it's tools and handguns, right? And so we have this. I brought. I brought. I had to steal one out of my wife's first today or uh, closet. I don't know. You all taking pictures? All right. It's okay. Post it. All right. So I grabbed, I had a pick last night when I went into the, the closet. I was like, let's see, I could, that one or that one. And what am I wearing? I had to figure out what I'm wearing, make sure it matches. Let me tell you something. I don't know what I'm wearing until I'm getting dressed. I'm like, I walk in my closet and go, okay, yeah, I think I'll do that, that. And, and so what is it with handbags, ladies? I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't get it. What's up with handbags? And we had a, an open forum in first service about what, what it is with handbags. And uh, so why do ladies... Lori, because that's where Kirstie was sitting. Why do ladies like handbags? Just give me... Holds all their stuff. Holds all their stuff. In a fashionable way. And they're cute. And they're cute. Okay. So I'm glad you said that because in first service, it was all about what it looked like, the color, what you were wearing, all this, and not one practical thing was mentioned. It was like, they're just cute and we like them. Okay. So I'm glad you said they hold your stuff because that's what handbags do. A man, most men anyway, will never understand a woman's desire to have more of these. We just won't get it. Or more shoes. Like you can wear one pair. A man just needs a couple, like a pair of running shoes, a pair of hunting boots, and maybe just a lounge. Because we just don't. Some people care about shoes. So I'm not a stereotype, but most men have two or three pairs of shoes and we're fine with that. Okay. Sometimes the shoes have to match the purse, all right? Um, but I ain't wearing no man purse, okay? Now, if I could pack my 44 in here, then maybe I would wear it because I would probably need it if I wore this around. I would probably need a gun to defend myself. But, all right, so anyhow, I don't know what it is with, with handbags. They, there's this, I gotta have another one. I gotta have another one. I gotta have another one. And, and it just, it's a perpetual thing. With men, it can be tools and guns or whatever it is. But it's like, 10 guns isn't enough. I need to have 11 because... You know, this one will kill someone better than the one, the other 10 that I have. What, what is in our thinking of wanting more? And is it wrong? We're going to talk about, is it, is it wrong to want more? And I've always said that it's not, it's not having stuff that gets you in trouble. It's when the stuff has you. 
It's when the stuff has you. So it's not wrong to have things, it's when the things have you. And if that's what you're living for, and if that's where you get your peace and your joy, it's very, very short-lived. And Paul's dealing with this today in the human heart, saying we have to learn how to be content because it's a learned behavior because we are not naturally content. See, there's an eventual emptiness in possessions. In my world, so to speak, okay, uh, pastors are notorious. You go to a pastor's conference and, and, and there's always the question that ends up getting asked. And what do you think it is? What's the questions that pastors ask of other, other pastors? How many people, how many, so how many people go to your church? And uh, that, that is the notorious question. How big is your church? It's like a spiritual scoreboard of your pastoral ability. Some of it depends on what town you live in, right? And so number one, the answer is this. Number one, it's not your church. It's God's church. Okay, and number two, the church isn't a building full of people. The church is the Christians all across the world. There's one church. Jesus is going to rapture one church. Jesus is not gonna come down and go, okay, we're gonna start from most attenders to the least. Right? So big church, you're all coming in. And then the poor, the last guy in the little tiny country town that has five people in his church and four are related. Okay, <laughs> he gets to go last because, no. That's not how God looks at things. Okay, God, God looks at the church as the church, not where you meet. You're either saved and going to heaven or you're not saved and going to hell. That's just the way it is. There's a heaven and there's a hell. And if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, let me be very clear, hell is where you will spend eternity Okay, when you die, if you reject what Jesus did on the cross, which we're gonna talk about that in the next couple of weeks, with Easter coming up, if you reject him, the Bible says that hell is the penalty for that. And I'm glad that Jesus paid for my sins and I accepted him to be my Lord and Savior at a young age and it's, it was the best decision I ever made. Okay? So if you're not saved today, saved from what? They're saved from hell. There's, there's a heaven and there's a hell. So we need to get that right and at the end of this message, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that. I just hope you don't die from in between. So you might just whisper, Jesus, I believe what he just said, so please be my Lord and Savior. <laughs> might be a good idea, right? Better safe than sorry. You never know. So our focus as a church, okay, is, is health. It's not numbers. It's not how many people can we get in the middle. That's, that's not what we're about. We're about a, a healthy body, teaching the truth and, and, and loving people and having uh, get-togethers with our life groups and things that can help us help you in your relationship with God. So Paul, again, he's, he's, he's really dealing with the heart issue of where our peace and joy comes from. And it's not possessions, it's not new stuff. And if we can learn this, life will be much more enjoyable. And really we're searching for happiness, right? I mean, that's really what we're after is I just wanna be happy in life. And we have to understand that things can't get us happy. Verse 11, he gives us a little glimpse here and we'll go back and read the whole scripture. But verse 11, he says, he says I've learned the secret. Paul's like, I got a secret. And anytime a pastor whispers, you just listen a little bit more. Like, yeah, like that. Really quiet. So you just gotta get this secret. Matter of fact, Kristen has this habit of lowering her voice when talking to my wife. Pastor Stevie and I will be will chat, and then the two girls will just lower their volume, and we know they're talking about us. It's just like we just kind of lean in, just listen a bit. All right. He says, I've learned the secret of being content, and he's going to share it with you. And some of y'all want him to keep a secret to himself. <laughs> You're like, I want more bags. All right. Don't be telling me what I need to be content. All right. But I never know this you'll never be happy if you're not content. If you're not content with what you have now, you won't be happy with what you can get tomorrow because what you have today is what you wanted yesterday. 
So, so the thing you wanted yesterday is the thing you got today and, and it's doing it for you until the new C8 drives up and you're like, well, wait, I want to have a brand new one. What is it within us that is, has this discontent? There's something in us that wants more, this desire to acquire. So I want to improve, but I don't have to have stuff to be happy. Advertisers know this about human nature. Advertisers are always trying to sell you something you didn't know you need until they mentioned it. Anybody visit, this is like asking you if you breathe this week. Anybody got a telemarketer call this week telling you your car insurance or whatever it is that they try to sell you? Uh, all right. Advertisers know human nature. They know that new stuff appeals to us. Again, this is nothing new. It started in heaven when Lucifer was, was one of the most beautiful angels and he had to have more. It was in the garden passed on to Eve of, yeah, you have all this stuff, but there's that one thing that God said that you can't have. And she's like, really? Yeah. And he's like, it's on sale. It's on sale. Big old line, 50% off today, all right? 100% off your life because you will die when you eat this fruit, which is what God said. And he lies to her. He gets her to tea. We'll talk about that on Wednesday night. Um, if you didn't know that, Wednesday night service, we, uh, we're going through the book of Genesis now. So um, it's a lot of fun. I, pre- I, I spoke last week on a lot of things I just don't understand. It is really hard to preach on things that you just don't get. Like, where'd God come from? <laughs> I don't know. So it makes him God. Right? If you can make the God, then he's not God. Right? Where, where did Cain and Abel, where did their wives come from? Because you have Adam and Eve, and then they have two boys, and then where, who did they marry? I don't know. Bible college didn't tell me, right? And if they did, it was probably a bad Bible college, because we really don't know. Well, this coming week, we talk about sin, which is really easy to preach on, because it's black and white. All right, but we're going to talk about temptation and all that. So telemarketers, here's your response. If you answer them and they talk to you, say this. If I needed what you're selling, I would be calling you. Okay, because that, they try to sell you something you don't need. And it's also interesting is we seem to pursue some things that aren't good for us. Why do we do that? You know what I'm talking about? It's like we are tempted to pursue things that are not good for us, things that will end in tragedy, yet we still uh, have this desire to pursue those things. So, all right, let's get into the word of God. Philippians chapter 4. Verse one through 10, Paul, again, in prison. Uh, they've met some of his needs. They've brought some stuff to him. This guy named Epaphroditus brings all these gifts. Uh, you know, and, and Paul's really excited about it. So he, he's addressing the last part of his letter to the church in Philippi. He's just saying, thank you. Thank you for meeting my needs. And he says this. He says, I rejoice greatly in my circumstances and chains. Is that what he said? No. That's why you should bring your Bibles because I can mess with you. I, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Okay, Not in my circumstance, not on the chains, not the fact that I'm in prison. I, I rejoice in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned. He's like, I, no, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance what circumstance are you in today that you could apply this to your life? I've learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. Now, when he was Saul before he got his name changed, when he was a Pharisee, he was a young man, uh, probably early 20s. He had grown up in Tarsus, which is a well-to-do community, probably lived in a wealthy home because he studied under a man named Gamaliel who was a leading scholar of the day. And you don't just come off the street and get in with the best scholar in town. So most likely, Paul grew up in a very well-to-do family as a Pharisee. Pharisees were wealthy. Okay? They, they made a lot of money. They had a lot of status. They had this, this respect. Okay? People didn't really like them, but they had a lot of respect. And so he's talking here from experience saying, I, I know what it's like to have plenty. I, I know what it's like to live in a nice home. I know what it's like to have plenty of food, plenty of clothing. And then I also know what it's like to be in prison and dressed in rags 
not having much to eat, not even knowing if I'm gonna get another meal because the only meals that they would get basically were from friends bringing them food. The Romans did not take care of the prisoners like they do today. There was, there was a, hey, what's on the menu? It was, is anybody gonna bring me a piece of bread so that I could live? So prison, much different in these days. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. See, I understand something about life is you can't always control what situation you're in, but you can control your reaction to it. Life is full of hardship. Life is full of hard things. How are you gonna get through those things? Paul's like, I got a secret I wanna tell you. He says, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength, which is one of the most famous verses for athletes, right? I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And if you look at the context, you're like, man, Paul's in jail writing this, right? He's not competing in the Roman Olympics or the Greek Olympics. Okay, he, he's like, I just want to get through the day. I can do everything through what? Through him who gives me strength. And he brings it back. He says, yeah, it was good of you to share in my troubles. He's like saying, thank you for meeting my needs. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift. It must not have been his love language. Because <laughs> if you're married to somebody with that, that love language, they're looking for a gift, just so you know. He says, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. In other words, he's saying, what you've done for me is not going unnoticed. And today you might be in, the th in a position in life where you think that maybe nobody has noticed what you've done. I'm gonna tell you something, God has noticed. God has noticed when you have helped somebody that nobody else saw, God sees those things and it will be rewarded to you. The Bible says in the end times, you will get rewarded for that. So keep doing good things. Keep doing good things. Keep just trying to be a blessing to those around you. So he said, I'm not looking for a gift, but I'm looking again for what may be credit to your account. Verse 18, I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Amazon. I mean, Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus, he was like the modern day Amazon. He brought all a truckload of stuff. Um, he, I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. So Epaphroditus was just a vessel to bring the gifts that the Philippians sent him. And there was probably pens like quills and ink and clothing and bread. I mean, who knows what he brought, but he brought a lot of stuff and he's writing parchment paper. Okay, Paul needed that type of thing and, and he gets this big old load and he's just like, thank you. He says, they're a fragrant offering as an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Let's talk about this. Again, Paul's writing from prison. It's not that he's enjoying it. He's just determined to make the best of his circumstances. How about you? How are you doing in that area right now? Whatever circumstances you're in, are you doing the best that you know how to do? Or does it just wiping you out and you don't know where to go? God wants to say, God, I don't, the circumstances here, I don't like them, but I can't really change it, so I'm gonna do my best. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a good attitude. I'm gonna do the best I can to navigate these waters maybe that I've never been in, the waters that are rough, the, the storm that's raging around me. Paul's just like, just learn how to say, God, I give my life to you. Circumstances, I can't change, but I can control how I react to them. I can control my attitude. See, God has a plan, because, but the plan needs to be pursued. You know, you can have all kinds of plans, but if you don't pursue the plan, it's probably not gonna get built we're developing plans now for a church facility, but if we never break ground, 
you can just say, hey, we got the plans. Who cares about your plans if you're not gonna build? And there's some people, you know some people, they always have plans. It's like, all, that's all they have. It's like you're 58 years old and you still don't know what you're gonna do for a career. <laughs> right? It's like, oh, I'm thinking about doing this. Well, just quit thinking and start doing. Maybe that was for somebody. Not popular to, to preach, right? So if anyone has a reason to complain, it's Paul, but he's not complaining. He's choosing to rise above his circumstances and things he can't control. I know for me, one of the hardest things I can do when I'm going through something tough is to encourage somebody else. If I'm discouraged, it's hard for me to be an encouragement to others. If I'm discouraged, you know what I like to do? I like to be by myself. Do I, do I have a witness in the house that you can be an introvert? Like your quiet time is like, don't touch me, don't talk to me, don't text me, don't do anything because I might bite you. You ever, you ever have those moments? You're like, just leave me alone. That's one reason I like to have my office in the farmhouse next door. It's my own personal little house, my little kingdom. Uh, and there's days where I just I don't want anybody to come and talk to me because I'm like just dealing with stuff. It's just like, I, I, you don't want to hear what I have to say when I'm in my mood. Like I will have to repent publicly in front of the church and probably have Pastor Stevie take over the church if I really say what I'm thinking. So there's times that I just like, I just need to shut up and just be by myself. And, and what I found is I read the Bible, I noticed that Jesus also liked to go to the mountains to be by himself at times. Can I get another introvert to raise their hand if you're willing to do that, okay? So what I, how I look at it is those of us who are kind of introverted by personality are a little more like Jesus than the rest of y'all who have to be around the crowd all the time. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah. I knew that would get you. Some of you want to be around the crowd. Other, other of us at times want to be around the crowd, but then we want to get away to recharge. Can I, can I show you something? Let me show you something without messing this up. I wasn't planning on this. Let me open this. Some of you, my wife just got scared. Like, what are you doing, honey? I, see these batteries right here? Can you see them? Yes. All right. Yes. These batteries, after I speak, they come out of the little box and they go somewhere. Where do you think they go? In the charger, right? Because if I keep using these batteries without recharging, I eventually lose my voice. And in our lives, when we go and go and go and go, we don't do anything that recharges us, we will eventually burn out and we will lose the voice. So there are times that we have to learn how to rest, okay? We talked about this Wednesday night and on the seventh day, God, he, God created and then what did God do on the seventh day? He rested. And we're not very good at that. We're not very good at that. Some people are too good at that. You're like, get off the couch and go get a job. But that's different, different sermon, different day. We'll let Pastor Stevie tackle that one. Um, all right. I just want to preach the fluffy stuff that makes everybody happy. All right. But it's hard at times to encourage somebody when you're going through a hard time. But here's what I have found is when I can be a blessing to somebody in my hard time, my hard time gets a little easier. It does, and you start learning, you know what? If I give, I will receive. Oh, that's what the Bible says, right? So if I learn to give out of my hardship, out of my discouragement, I can start pulling out of my own because hiding away in your cave too long will create depression. So we have to serve our way out of those times, all right? Again, Roman prisons did not take care of you. Whatever you had to you was brought by your friends, and Paul is simply saying, thank you for the literal gifts of food, clothing, writing things, ink, quills, parchments. Okay? Again, I'm just saying thank you. He acknowledges their renewed concern. And he said, you had concern for my needs. You just didn't have time to show it. Like you didn't have a way to show it. And I thank you for finally did for or finally showing me concern by action. And you can have concern, but if you don't follow up by action, what's the point? All right. 
Okay, Scott, he helps with the Boise Rescue Mission. There's a, a 55 gallon drub out there for food and diapers and clothing and whatever necessities could be used at a mission. Okay, our, our goal here isn't just to say, hey, there's a barrel out there, it looks great. You know, what's the goal? Is to fill the barrel. That's what it is. So if you have those types of goods, it's, it's, it's per- turning your concern into an action. So we can help people that you may never meet, but they will be incredibly blessed by your generosity. I know your cabinets, and uh, they're completely empty at home. You don't have any food. Um, yeah, I know, I know what it's like, right? If there's people that are hungry, we can be a part of that. And that's, that's what the barrel is for, is just to feed the homeless take care of, of moms that need diapers and all that kind of thing. That's turning our concern into action. That's what Paul is praising here. Because you had concern, but you actually did something about it. And that's a, that's a good thing. Verse 11, he's, he's like, I'm not trying to be needy. I'm not trying to be needy. Is anybody, that's a dangerous question. Are you married to a needy person? Don't raise your hand, please. Just, 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 just don't even do anything. Just, just ignore I got peer pressured. Lori just said, just ask it. So I did. I got peer pressured and asked him the question. So thank you, Lori, for giving me permission to ask a question that I was probably going to ask anyway. Sometimes we're married or not married. Sometimes people are, I shouldn't say we, because that could get me in trouble. Sometimes people are married to needy people. They just need, 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 need all the time. And Paul's like, I don't want to come across as needy, even though I I have needs. I don't want to come across that way. And he just says, I just want to say thank you. I just want to say thank you. I'm not trying to guilt trip you for not acting sooner. I just want to say thank you for doing what you did. Let's talk for a moment about the confusion we have between needs and wants. Okay, what, what do we need really and what do we want? Because a lot of times people say, well, I need to go to the store. What do you go to the store for? I need another bag. Again, we're not talking about guns because you actually need another gun, um, right? Yeah. But yeah, I get a lot of in. Of course, I have half the women in our church like, yeah, preach it, Pastor Tim, because you're all packing anyway. Um, so I shouldn't have grabbed that one, uh, but for effect. I need a new Corvette. No, I do. I do. Need, I need a Corvette. I don't need a Corvette. But what do I actually need? Yeah. So I want to I just give you a little illustration. I dare you this week to go into a Chevy dealer with a brand new Corvette sitting in the showroom, walk in with a Kirkland purified water and say to the salesman, I will trade you a bottle of water for that new car. <laughs> Fair deal. <laughs> the salesman would just laugh at you, think you were joking and you would be because you know that that's not the case. But I want you to to walk out of, of the Chevrolet place and then I want you to go to Southern California to the Mojave Desert in the middle of summer and I want you to pretend like you're driving along all by yourself, you haven't seen a car for hours and, and as you get closer to this red thing that you see on the side of the road, you realize that it's the Corvette that the salesperson that you offer the bottle of water for is sitting there and he's been there for a day and not one person has stopped and he is really thirsty and it's 120 degrees out. And you pull up next to him. And you're like, man, what's up? He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm dying. Do you have any water? And I'm like, do I have a deal for you? <laughs> See this cold water that I just got out of my cold cooler? I will trade you. You give me the keys to that car and the title, and I will give you a bottle of water. For a day, he might say no. So you just decide to wait him out because you've got a whole thing of water in your vehicle. 
Lots of fuel. You're just sitting there chilling, just looking at him, sipping. How's it going? Nobody's stopping by. Two days into it, this guy is about to die. He knows he's about to die. I promise you, I promise you that he will eventually trade this for a bottle of water because that's when the want and the need really comes to the surface as to what your body needs. Everybody ever been thirsty enough that you're just like, I, I am about to die if I don't get something to drink? And, and, and all of a sudden, the Corvette doesn't mean a whole lot anymore. It's the water that you need. Yet a lot of people are trading their life for possessions and not the living water, not Jesus. They're going after the shiny stuff and they're not going after the living water. So I, I guarantee you that eventually what you consider or what a salesman would consider you know, of utmost worth would trade a $99,000 Corvette for a 33-cent bottle of water because of what a need is. Now we know what needs and wants are. You need food, you need water, you need shelter, you need medicine. That's the things that we need, right, in order to live. So Paul is saying, I, I have this secret. I've learned to be content because contentedness is a learned behavior. We are not naturally content. Now, again, there's good content and there's bad content, okay? I don't want to be content with where my marriage is. Again, so what do I do? I grow, I learn. I don't want to be content uh, as a pastor. I want to learn and I want to grow. I want to be better. I don't want to be content with a lot of things. I'm glad some guy wasn't content with a hot house because I love air conditioning. I'm thankful for that. Okay? So there's a, again, there's a good content. But today we're talking about the bad content. He says, I've learned the, to be content whatever the circumstances. And the Greek definition of that word content is not depending on outward circumstances. So do you have this DNA in you that says, I, I need something new to be happy? I need something different to be content. And, and the contentedness is not true contentedness. It's just a temporary feeling. I just need something. I got to get this. I got to get that. I got to buy. I got to buy. I got to buy. And it's not working. See, being content is a learned behavior, chasing a feeling, because there's something in you that says that what I have, not have, sorry, let me, let me start over. What I have is not enough to keep me happy. What I have is not enough to keep me happy. And that's the thing we're fighting against today. There's a book that was written by a Dr. Laura Schlesinger. Has anybody heard of the book? It's called The Proper Care and Feeding of Husbands. Is there any ladies that have heard of the book? Okay. Okay, more in second service than first service. Okay, I have another question for you. Put your hands down, please. Those of you who have the book, who actually own the book, who has the book? Oh, good. Two of you. I'm gonna let my wife tackle this on Mother's Day. Um, I've read the book twice. It's a good book. It's a good book. You ought to read it. Men, if you wanna have a great marriage, buy one for your wife as a gift. Tell her to read it. And as soon as she lives it, you'll come home. Um, yeah, it didn't go very well. That's what I thought, because you're all like, wait a second. No, great book. Great book on, and ladies, it's just a challenge. But here's one thing that Dr. Laura says. Uh, she says this. She says, the worst thing you can do to your husband is be unhappy. That's, the, the book is full of those types of challenges, you know? And the ladies are like, does she write a book for husbands? <laughs> Mind your own business. Read your own book. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with us, Okay. And, and as we read the book, you realize that it, it, she is really right. 
Because husbands want their wives, we want our wives to be happy, we really do. Whether you believe it or not, okay, whether our actions prove that or not, in our hearts, we really want our wife to be happy, we really do. But we get to a point, if there's nothing that will stay happy, and, and the more we do, if the less content you are, you just eventually give up. And this goes both ways, I'm not saying this is a one-way street. But in this particular book, um, she deals with this thing of, of just uncontentedness. Yeah, 99% is great, but there's still the spot you need to deal with. I promise you, next Sunday, that spot will not be there. There's going to be like 50 of them, just to prove my point, right? Just, just, I'm going to do a little, no, we're going to take care of that. There's something in our DNA that naturally wants more. We want more. It can be perfect and we want more. Again, I call it the Eve syndrome is that God put her in a perfect environment with a perfect guy, but there was that one thing that she couldn't have that she just had to have. It's a, and we all have that. It's not just a woman thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a human thing. We have this DNA of wanting more. There is something, again, in our DNA that naturally wants more. Lust comes in more than one form. It really does. If you, if you looked at storage units lately, why do we have to have storage units? Is it because we lack possessions as Americans? Matter of fact, if stuff made us happy, Americans would be the most happy country in the entire world. Why? Because we've got storage units full of stuff that we haven't seen for a long time. I mean, they're full. It's like 85% of storage units in America are filled. So if you want to make money on somebody else's problem, build storage units. Right? Because we have a lot of stuff, and yet we are unhappier than ever before. It's almost like the more we have gotten, the less happy we've become. So if the theory of getting new things brings contentedness, why are we a country full of miserable people? The more we get, the emptier we are. Paul's addressing that in us. He's addressing that in us. So here's what I want you to do, okay? Because lust comes in more than one form. Matter of fact, the first lust wasn't sexual at all. It was, oh, there's something I can't have. I want that. I want that shiny piece of fruit or whatever it was, deception going on. Lust is basically desperately wanting something you're not supposed to have. So what do I do? Okay, here's where we have to, what do I do with what I'm preaching on? What do I do with this? What do I do with that thing in me that just wants to have more, that has to say, you know what, for me to be content, it's gotta be more, it's gotta be prettier, it's gotta be different colors, the furniture's gotta be moved. I don't know many men who just move furniture for fun. Is there any, actually, I'm gonna get a lot of people in trouble by asking questions. Uh, Maybe that's the case. Some ladies like to move the furniture. My wife's actually not one of those that has to move the furniture all the time which I appreciate that. Um, and, and so some of you, it's, it's, it's gotta be arranged, but I also love her creativity. Like I said, a guy could live in a cave and everything would be fine. But ladies, you make it a home. So what do I do with this desire to acquire? And I want you to listen to me close. I want you to look at me. Okay, there's a DNA in us that has this desire to acquire. And what you can't change, you need to channel. There are certain things that we can't change about us. We can't change our sexual nature But God says, no, that's gotta be channeled. The Bible says, if you are burning with lust, you need to get married. Doesn't say go to the bar, doesn't say visit the prostitute's house, it says you need to get married. For all you single people, okay, there's hope. There really is, okay, there's hope. But you need to hold on to hope. But you have to channel what is naturally in you. Okay, we cannot take away sexual desire in a human body. That's the way God made us, but we gotta channel it. You see, fire is great if it's contained within the fireplace. It's beautiful. God makes sexuality beautiful between a man and a woman, husband and wife, okay? That's the only time it can be beautiful because that's the way God made it. Fire has to stay in a container 
called a fireplace or a stove in order to be beautiful. But once it gets outside of that parameter, it's destructive. It's the same thing with sexuality. When we sleep around outside of a marriage between a man and woman, it just creates a mess. And there's a reason that God says, don't do it. There's a reason that God says, hey, you know, the sex is beautiful in the covenant of a marriage. Outside of it, it's destructive. So we teach abstinence. We teach marriage, right? I teach people, hey, if you're living together and you're sleeping together, and, and I, you've heard me say it many times, it's not the sleeping together that gets you in trouble. It's what you do when you're awake. Because just sleeping isn't, you know, it's what you do when you're awake gets you in trouble. And God says, don't do it. Why? Because he says, I want to bless you, but you got to do it the right way. So it's not a condemnation thing. It's just a true thing. The Bible says what it says for a reason, right? Because I know people that sleep around and there's never a contentedness. There's always got to be more. There's got to be somebody new. God wants us to be happy. He wants us to be joyful. We've got to build the plans or build our, our building according to his plan. So what you can't change, again, you need to channel. Like rain, it's natural. You can't stop it, but you can channel it. You can get a culvert. You can, you can direct it. You can have a gutter. All right, and Paul said this, again, if you burn with passion, he said what? Get married, all right? What's natural isn't always wrong. It just has to be channeled correctly. So if anyone has a reason to complain, it's Paul. I just read page three. That was kind of interesting. Um, you can't see my notes. I went backwards, okay? When it's not channeled is when it's dangerous, okay? I think America got kind of crazy when credit cards were invented because there was a time in America where if you didn't have cash, you couldn't buy it. And then credit cards came along and that changed it. It's all about instant. I can buy it now and I'll pay later, but later always has interests. Okay, so that's my theory is that credit cards changed America. Instant purchase. So what is it that causes humans to risk relationships, their job, their marriage, to get something they don't need, but they simply want? What is it in us that has the potential to do that? My view is this, someone who truly values their marriage isn't gonna keep doing things to blow it up. And I use the word keep doing things. Doesn't mean you can't make a mistake, God can forgive mistakes, but when you continue the behavior that can blow up a relationship, why do we risk that? Why do we risk something that's so beautiful to blow everything up? Uh, You would never enter your new car in a demolition derby. That's one of the things I love about NASCAR, okay, is the crashes. I have no desire to just, Bob, I have no desire to watch cars go in circles, like, I just no desire. I live in Cuna. Traffic is horrible now in Cuna. Remember, I lived here when it was like 2,800 people. So there was 17 cars at that time. Now there's a lot. And uh, so for others, you're like, there's no traffic at all. It's all about perspective. And mine's right. Because I've lived here longer than you, but whatever. All right. What I value is what I protect. A heart that is discontent is a heart that will put a relationship at risk by making choices to pursue things that will never satisfy you. And so what God wants us to do today is, 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 again, he's not here to condemn us, he's here to save us from it. He's here to say, hey, this is what your DNA, it wants what it wants, and it wants usually the wrong things, but I wanna tell you there's a different way. There's a different way, because God's way is always the right way. God wants your life blessed, he really does. If, he want, if God was mad at you and he wanted you gone, you would have been smoked a long time ago. God would have went, off the earth, you're done. But you're alive is the fact that God loves you and he wants your life to be good. We just have to make better decisions. See, uncontentedness is really unthankfulness. 
Again, we're talking about unhealthy, um, uncontent. And Paul's simply challenging us to make the best of any circumstance. And then he's like, okay, the secret I told you about, I, I'm gonna bring it back around. The secret is found in verse 13. And, this, and the secret is really simple. And he says this, I can do everything through him. Who's him? Jesus, right? I, I, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. In other words, my contentedness is found in my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because I was living a life that was crazy. He said, I was out killing Christians. I was persecuting the church. I was doing all this crazy stuff. And then I met Jesus on the road and my life changed. And I realized I was going this wrong direction that the passion I had, God just wanted to channel it. And that's the thing about the apostle Paul is, is Jesus didn't change his DNA. He didn't change his passion. He just channeled it in a different direction. Some of you have kids that are high strung. I mean, they just go, who has kids that are just, matter of fact, you can't wait to come to church and you're so excited now they go straight to kids' church because you actually get a break and that's great. That's our intention. But you have, a, some of you have kids that are just always going, going, going. Well, God, did you realize that God gave them probably their personality and their DNA to be world changers? We just have to learn how to channel it. Instead of, can I say this? Instead of drugging them up, we need to give them something to do. Okay? Because I've, probably would have had ADD, just, <laughs> you're like, oh, shocker, um, yeah. <laughs> probably would have had that, but my parents channeled it, instead of giving me pills, and again, my, my older brother's a doctor, so I, we talked about this whole thing, he said, there's absolutely clinical, it's a clinical thing, some kids do need it, so I'm not making fun of that, he said, but it is highly overprescribed, okay, the kid can't behave, so we just put him on drugs to chill him out, but you could actually be compressing something that God made them to be, like inventors, go get it, get, do something. You have to learn how to channel it. Give them something to do. And something to do isn't this. Okay? Because when they're 58 years old, they'll still be doing this and your wife will drive you crazy. Uh, you have to say, okay, they have all this energy. What, what do they enjoy doing? What do they enjoy doing? Get, get them building something. Get, get them, give them something to do, whether it's art or whatever. Um, but God made us the way we are. We just have to channel it. We just have to channel it. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. Strength is only found in a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. That's the secret. And we're like, that's it? <laughs> I'm like, I've been waiting all church service for you to give me that one thing. It's just Jesus? That's all? Yeah, that's all. That's all? Guys, you don't have to go to hell because of what he did. He paid for our sins. Aren't you thankful? That when you, uh, Scott did a good job yesterday at our men's breakfast. If you didn't come to men's breakfast, guys, you missed it. Um, <laughs> that was a deep statement. If you didn't come, you missed it. Duh. Because um, I wasn't there. <laughs> it's like some of the things you think about after you say it. And, uh, and, and it was the good, the good word was what Christ has forgiven us of. And we remember it, but God doesn't. It's like when you bring it up, God's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, that time that I did this, God's like, I <laughs> don't know what you're talking about. I forgave it. Like, why are you bringing up the stuff that I forgave? And we hold ourselves captive by doing that. We, who, whose son sets free is free what? Free indeed. We're indeed. So don't let that past hold you back from what God has for your future. All right. So Paul's saying the peace. I'm going to have our band come back. We're going to close with a fast song. Paul's saying that, that peace he's found. Is that cool? Is that good? Okay, good. I was making sure. I gave a command and I was making sure all the, all the crew was still on the ship. Um, all right. What's that? Somebody fell off? Okay. <laughs> We're on live TV. It's okay. There's no problem. That's how we roll. 
All right. You see, Paul's saying, let me just read this to you for the sake of time. Paul's saying that the peace he's found in Jesus is better than any riches or position the world can offer and definitely better than the chains he's in. See, the wrong direction will always be downhill. The wrong direction is always the easy way. I've asked the question for many years, what is the easiest way to deal with temptation? Give in to it. Just give in to it. That's the easiest way, but it's not the right way. The bad part with going downhill is the ending is horrible when it comes to sin. Right? It's easier to give in than to say no. And so my last thought is this. Sometimes success isn't what we hold on to. It's what we let go of. And today, what do you need to let go of? And I hope that everybody got something out of today's message. Uh, some of you may be just content. People, that was you're dealing with, yeah, I'm always kind of wanting more and I need to tone that down. And Paul's just saying we have to really focus on Jesus. We have to focus on why he came and he came to set us free. He came to set us free. So like I told you, at the beginning of the service, guys, there's a heaven and there's a hell. Now, most of us in here have dealt with that. We've dealt with eternity. We know we will die. And we know that there's two places to go. There's heaven or hell. Some people don't teach that, but the Bible is very clear. When Jesus came to die on the cross, if there was no hell, why would he have done that? Saved us from what? Now, he saved us from eternity in hell. He saved us from our sins, which would be the penalty by going to hell. And Jesus said, I just, I want you to come home. I want you to spend eternity with me, but you have to accept what I did. You have to accept the gift that I offered you. It's free. All you have to do is, is admit that you're a sinner, that you need a savior. That, that Jesus is the living water. See, some of you are looking for, for, for fulfillment in things, can't be found in things. And you know that, you know that. But the living water, Jesus said in the living water, that's what you need today. So if that's you, I'm gonna ask our church, just just bow your heads with me. And I'm gonna ask you that question is, where will you spend eternity? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Because the Bible is very clear that if you have not, there's hell to pay for eternity. And that's a long time. And Jesus doesn't want you to go there. He says, I offer you a free gift. Will you accept it? Now, I'm not here to pressure you or anything like that. That's not my job. My job is to present it to you. And what you do with it is up to you. But if you need to give your life to Jesus today, if you want a new start, if you want your sins forgiven, if you want to be on the road to heaven, I'm going to ask you to be bold and brave and just lift your hand up. Say, Pastor, that's me. I need to give my life to Jesus. Is there anybody? Okay. So me in the back. Anybody else? Okay. I see a couple hands going up. All right. And here's how we do it at our church. You can put your hands down. We pray the, the prayer as a church family because we're in this together as a family, kind of messed up family, but we're a family. So if you would, just repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. In your name, amen. 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 Welcome to the family. Amen. Amen. So you just instantly got your ticket to heaven. Okay, there's not a waiting period. Like, it's like, like so I tell you, it's not like buying a gun in California. There's no waiting period. Okay, as soon as you ask Jesus to forgive you, they're forgiven, and you're on your way to heaven. Amen. We had a Bible for you. We have a new believers handbook. Uh, Mary is at the back. Nope, nope, it's Angie today. Yeah, in the lights back there. Angela's back there today. And uh, if you need a Bible, we'll give you one. So let's stand up. Let's close this in a celebration.